Well, this morning we are going to be continuing our study on deadly sins. And in particular, this morning we're going to be looking at anger. Oh my goodness, this was a really tough topic for me. I've not really studied a whole lot into anger. And so this week I really dove in head first, reading as much as I possibly could to be able to prepare this message. And so I, my prayer is that this will just be a blessing and, and honestly, hopefully a challenge because I found it quite uh, convicting as I was going through this to really examine my own heart and my life. And, and maybe you'll be invited into that process as well. Well, anger can come in so many different forms, and, and it can really be a force for good or a force for evil. Anger really ultimately is a tool, and as such, how we wield it, it can, it can kind of change the impact that it has. And as we talk about anger this morning, it can be tempting to only reflect on angry outbursts or even anger that has occurred from other people towards you. And again, I want to kind of challenge you and encourage you, maybe let's bring this a little bit closer to home and and allow it to be something that you look at your own life and say, how have I been wrestling with anger? And so I pray, as I, as I pray for us this morning, I want to encourage you to take some time to reflect and, and really do some personal thinking of where is anger in your life. So let me pray, and I encourage you to take a moment to really reflect. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and, and God, I thank you for a challenging message like this, an opportunity to really look at our life and, and hold it before you, God, and say, Lord, examine my heart, examine my life. And so, Lord God, I pray as, as we get into this message that you would maybe bring up some things in our life of, of anger that we are maybe holding on to. And, and as we talk about the roots of anger, maybe there will be one that stands out to us. And I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just take this message and, and let it go in one ear and out the other, but we would allow it to, to really disciple us into maturing in our life, to becoming more like you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, as Anne read for us this morning, we get these two pictures of anger in Scripture. One was from the Old Testament, which looks at God's character in particular, was found in in Exodus, and it says that God is slow to anger. And then we get this second portion in, in the Gospels where Jesus goes into the temple and he is flipping over tables. And maybe if you are like me, your mind kind of goes, well, I thought he was slow to anger. What is Jesus doing flipping over tables? That kind of seems like a crazy outburst. So what is happening here? And, and I want to encourage you that these actually pair together so perfectly well. And they really give us two understandings of anger, two ways of looking at it. And two ways of looking at it in our own life and saying, okay, if Jesus was slow to anger, because again, the things that are true in the Old Testament are true in the New Testament. So if that is true about Jesus, what is going on here? And if our mind, at least again, for me, my mind went to, well, Jesus had this crazy outburst flipping over tables. Maybe that has more to say about me and, and how I react in anger and maybe get explosive in times. And the way that we wield anger if we look at Jesus, can be used in powerful ways to write injustices. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. So with that being said, I want to ask you guys just for a moment to picture anger, to picture it in your mind, to think maybe of a memory or, or an instance in which you can say that was an angry moment. Well, what do you, what do you think of? 
Or when you think of anger, does anything come to mind when you think about it? For me, I think of kind of like a flame or, or fire. Fire has a, a potential for so many different consequences, and it can be used in so many different ways. And in the same way, anger can be wielded with purpose and intention. It can be used to defend and bring justice, or it can be used to hurt and lash out. Like fire, anger has great potential to bring destruction and bring about drastic change. Anger can come in in many different forms, but what picture did you think of? What picture comes to your mind when you think of anger? Does your mind immediately go to an angry outburst? Maybe you're thinking of kind of a road rage incident of of driving down the Henday and someone cutting you off and you're like, ooh. Or maybe you accidentally cut someone off and the horn gets blaring behind you. Or maybe your mind goes to a store where someone is freaking out because their return isn't going to happen and they just are losing their mind at this poor, poor store worker. Or perhaps maybe it gets a little bit more real. Maybe it goes to an impactful moment, an angry grudge that a friend or family member holds. Or even more, maybe more to the point that you hold against someone else. And as you reflect upon that incident, maybe it happened recently. Or maybe your mind goes to a memory from long ago that you just can't seem to let go of. Whatever your mind goes to, it isn't hard to think about anger. It isn't hard to think about a moment or even to understand anger. Anger, after all, is a pretty common emotion. It's something that we face and deal with regularly. Anger can have a significant impact in our life. And as Pastor Norb explained a couple of weeks ago, as he launched into our new series on the seven deadly sins, he said that these seven deadly sins is a fountainhead, and anger is a fountainhead. And and what I want you to picture is of a start of a river, how everything begins at one point and then it flows and cuts across the land. It is a breaking point for something to happen. And the seven deadly sins are just that, a breaking point for many other things. And anger, in the same way, can be an inlet. It can be the leading cause for many other sins in our life. And if this sin is unchecked, it can really rain destruction in our life. In so many different areas, but in particular in relationships. So as we talk about anger today, I want to start by looking at what anger is. I think this is going to be a pretty basic explanation. I probably don't even need to have this, but let's make sure we're all on the same page. Anger is an emotion characterized by antagonism toward someone or something that you feel has deliberately done you or someone or something you care about wrong. Anger is like a flame. When used correctly, it can shine light on injustices. And it could be put to work to bring justice. However, in the same way, it can also be abused and used to hurt, kill, and destroy. In a sense, there are two ways of looking at anger with most things. That's the case for most things. There's always two ways to look at it. But for today's purposes, I want to give us kind of a language to look at this. So when I say this type of anger, you're kind of tracking with me and you're keeping up. So the first anger, the language piece that I want to explain is the, a, a anger that is used to fight injustices. 
the one that is used to defend and fight against injustice. And I will use the description, the language, righteous anger when I'm referring to this. A righteous anger's best explanation is found when anger brings justice to injustices. The anger that kind of rises up in you when you see a, a, an abusive parent go off on a tirade against a young child and they just lose it on them. And you can see that that child is going to be emotionally bruised or maybe even physically, sadly. Having an angry response to such an event happening is a healthy response. You shouldn't want to see that happening. In fact, you probably should say something. In fact, you should say something and do something in those moments. And that is a righteous anger response. In fact, not responding in anger would be wicked. Thomas Aquinas, a a famous Christian theologian, philosopher, and Catholic priest, has this to say on the subject. He who is not angry when there is a just cause for anger is immoral. Why? Because anger looks to the good of justice. And if you could live amid injustice without anger, you are immoral as well as unjust. It's a great quote. Anger is not necessarily always an evil thing. It can be good and healthy like we talked about before. However, just as good and healthy as it can be, it can also be equally wicked. Anger can be used to inflict pain, hurt, and retribution upon those who have wronged us. And this type of anger, I want to use the language wrath. Wrath when I'm speaking of this. It's that kind of anger that wells up in us when we feel our pride has been attacked or a fear has the potential to be realized or past hurts have been pressed upon. Rebecca DeYoung is our companion book that we're kind of using, all three of us as pastors. And in Glittering Vices, she writes, Wrath arises when we defend the false self at all costs. The false self is our cherished picture of ourselves propped up by pride. So just as righteous anger seeks to right injustice, wrath aims to bring about a false sense of justice through lashing out due to an injury against pride, past hurts, or secret fears. So when we talk about wrath today, I want to caution us not just to think about angry outbursts, although maybe that's what our mind goes to, rightly so. That is a very uh, apt description of wrath, but wrath can also be an internal affair. And wrath can have a grasp on our inner man or woman, and it can begin to seep into all areas of our life if unchecked. Wrath allows anger not just to be an external reality, but an inner battle for thoughts. And it can even begin to change the lens through which we view the world around us. Often the Bible talks about the inner being, and and, and the word it uses is heart, our heart. Scripture uses the term heart to describe our inner thoughts and our internal working, our, our soul essence. It uses the word heart. And in Proverbs 4, verse 23, we are cautioned by Solomon to above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Wrath assaults our hearts and we can quickly yield control to it If we are not careful, anger can plant lasting roots like a weed in a garden. And just like anger can be a fountainhead for many sins, wrath doesn't just come up 
from out of nowhere. Instead, it usually belies an underlining horde of injuries and past hurts which have not correctly been dealt with. I remember when I was, like, I think, around 14 years old, my, my family, we were, we were super excited. It was the first time I was ever going to move, we, and this is the first time that we had moved in, I think, 15 or 16 years. And so this was the first move that my family was going to make since I had been born. And we were, we were super excited about it because the house, my parents were building it from, from scratch. They were working with a builder and designing it and laying it all out. And so we were getting really excited when the time was getting closer and closer, and we knew that the house was going to be in this new neighborhood in Lethbridge, and it was going to have all these nice walking paths and parks nearby, but the, the new house was also going to have this massive backyard, easily three times the size of our previous backyard, and so we were excited for all the fun that we were going to have as kids. But by the time that the house was done, my parents had made the decision whew, to not build and finish the backyard, not even to finish the fence. And so when we moved into the new house, this, this backyard that was just dirt, which was an old farmer's field before this, that summer, all of a sudden, it sprouted up weeds nonstop. And so we, as kids, we had the delightful pleasure of picking the weeds for our parents. And so in the summer, we would go out there and pick weeds day after day after day. Oh, yes, after day. It just didn't end. It was huge, and it just wouldn't stop. And my brother and I, who really carried the brunt of this work because we were the youngest, and my other siblings suddenly disappeared whenever time to work in the backyard came about, we were, we were set about to do this and take care of this. And so for weeks after weeks, we were out there picking weeds, and I'm assuming we did not do an effective job because we were out there for weeks. You're getting my point here? And at some point, it kind of felt like it was an invasion, we would go out there and pick a weed, and like two more the next day would rise up in its place, saying, you will not defeat us. And we were not winning. And so my brother, one day, him and I, I don't know who really came up with it. I'll be honest, it was probably me, came up with the brilliant idea of we are going to get the lawnmower and just mow this, and then we will be done and so we did that. We pulled out the lawnmower and began mowing all the weeds, and we took care of it. And I remember thinking to myself, we did it. The next days, we do not need to go back out here and pick weeds. And we were so proud of ourselves. And my parents came home, and, and I know that they knew that what was about to happen, but they just let us go with it. And they're like, okay, hey, you got it done. Well done. Just know that if there's more weeds, you guys are in charge of taking care of it. And we're like, no problem. No big deal. And they're like, okay. And sure enough, two weeks later, the weeds had, like, tripled. It was just everywhere. It, like, did not stop. It was like, as far as the eye can see, we were, like, in weeds. And so my parents came out and said to us and explained a truth of weeds, which is if you don't get down into the dirt and pluck out the root, it's not dealt with. It's going to come back time and time again. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. Anger is a weed in our heart. It doesn't stop. We can deal with the external part of anger. It, it's good to deal with it. And, and don't mishear me. If there is an outburst, and, and if you're constantly having outbursts, you should deal with that. But don't just stop there. It's not good enough to just stop at what is external. 
And in fact, it will continue to be external anger unless we get to the heart of it. Unless we get to the root where this anger actually needs time to deal with. And that's just it. It takes time. It is hard work to deal with anger. So I want to encourage you just in this moment right now, think about the last thing that you were angry about. Not kind of angry, but really, really angry about. What did your wrath arise from? Or rather, what was the circumstance that led to you being angry? Maybe you did have an outburst. Maybe it was you driving on, on the hen day and someone cut you off and you just laid into the horn. Or let's be more real. Maybe it was with one of our siblings, if we're at that age, living in our parents' house. Or maybe it was against our spouse or our kids. And our reaction became a 10 when really, if we think about it, it probably should have been maybe at most a 3. Those are signs that the root has not been dealt with. And again, we're looking at wrath here, not not righteous anger. As I studied over the past couple of weeks, or sorry, the past week and, and, and looking into this earlier, I found many different ways of looking and wording these common root things, the things that really sink in deep and that we need to deal with. And we could look at this probably for for the next couple of weeks, but I I just have a few moments here today. And so I want to quickly summarize them as three things. And these are three familiar sources of anger. And and, and while not extensive, I want to encourage you, if something kind of strikes a chord with you, maybe do more research into it. The three common roots of anger are very first, firstly, fear, past wounds, and pride. Let's look at fear first. Fear can manifest itself in many ways, but ultimately it can leave you angry over circumstances and situations that you ultimately don't have control over. This anger can manifest itself because of fear when things don't work out as you had planned. Or if you have an unhealthy desire for control in situations where you shouldn't or don't need to have control can manifest itself from a fear of failure, a fear of not being genuinely accepted by your peers. The root of fear can cause a lot of internal frustration and anger, and, and, and often it comes out with quickly lashing out, especially when others strike a note in the fear that you are holding, that we've been wrestling with. This root can cause us to become paralyzed, unable to really respond in those moments and internally shutting down. And on the opposite end, it can leave us explosive and yelling. And ultimately, what it really does, either way, is it sees us wrestling with God for control. The practice to help us deal with this fear very, very simply is to place our trust in God. To hand him the reins of the uncertainties in our life and trust that he, in fact, is in control and that he will work all things for the good of those who love him. And guys, as Christians, he is working things out for our good always, even in circumstances that don't quite feel like it. God's word has a lot to say about fear, this, this root of anger, of wrath, But one encouraging word is found in Joshua 1 verse 9, and it reads, Have I not commanded you, 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. A practical way of dealing with this type of anger is realizing what fear is. It's the anger of uncertainty. Unsure of how things will go, our response can often be to fight, to make things try to go in our direction, the specific direction that we want to have. We can push people away or lash out because we assume one thing when we don't know the truth of the matter. A healthy healthy way of dealing with this anger can be to write down your fears and allow yourself the actual headspace to deal with them. Journaling can become a fantastic tool to combat anxiety and fear, especially when it's paired with prayer. Journaling and prayer can become a practical way to surrender control to God. The second root of anger, as I mentioned before, is past wounds and bitterness. Do you often find yourself reliving moments of pain? This this pain can be from what others have done to you or even what you have caused yourself to experience and go through. This type of anger can cause you to retaliate against others, especially in an explosive way. These explosive bursts of anger can be, again, external or internal. And the external response can often leave us yelling, slamming doors, throwing items or internally can leave us crippled. The offense send us, sends us wheeling in our mind and, and lets us replay that memory, that hurt, that past wound over and over again as if we're looking at a diamond trying to examine it from every possible facet, reliving the moment time and time and time again. And it leaves us building up walls around us, trying to shut out others so that we can possibly try to prevent a hurt like this from ever occurring again. These past wounds can lead you to accept traits in yourself that you wouldn't normally have done so before, such as becoming a miserable person, a cunning person, a selfish person, a greedy person. And if you've ever used the defense, I am this way because of how this person treated me, you are probably struggling with past hurts. Or maybe even you find yourself saying, if you only knew how bad I had growing up, then you would understand. As if you have to justify the nasty things you do. These types of lines, it it gives ground in our heart for self-defeating personalities that can ruin us as an individual. If you find yourself struggling to forgive this root of anger, past wounds has a substantial purchase in your life. And the most practical way that I can think about helping you to deal with this is with forgiveness. And we'll talk about forgiveness in a bit because that's my main point as we go through this, and I'll get to that in a little while. In Ephesians 4, verse 31 to 32, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Past untreated wounds leave us bitter and leave us embittered towards others who have hurt us. Our embittered attitude can even turn towards individuals that never did it in the first place and yet we just naturally are angry towards them. 
And it can leave us embittered towards ourselves. And a natural response can be one form of depression, leaving us naturally unable to deal with it. Anger becomes a natural deflection and a response when things once again, once again, go awry. As I said, practicing forgiveness is an amazing tool to combat this root of anger. And again, we'll come back to this. But I will also say these types of wounds, these long-lasting wounds, can also need the help of friends and spiritual mentors that can actually speak into our life with life and love and help us to deal with these things. Sharing past wounds with a trusted friend or family member or, again, spiritual counselor or psychologist can be one of the healthiest tools to deal with these past hurts. Our last root of anger is pride. Again, we're just quickly touching on these, but pride is is a very treacherous master, and it sees us constantly trying to protect a soft-shelled exterior that comes across as prickly. Pride is a tangled web of roots that leaves us believing we deserve a certain level of respect and sees us demanding a level of worth even from those who know nothing of the sort of us or wouldn't naturally give us that because they have no relationship at that level to give us that type of worth. And yet we search for it from every possible person we can. And I loved, once again, what Rebecca DeYoung in Glittering Vices has to say on pride. Wrath arises when we defend the false self at all costs. The false self is our cherished picture of ourselves propped up by pride. The term from spiritual formation literature refers to what the Apostle Paul calls the old self or sinful nature. We jealously guard this vision of success and self-importance which rests on any number of goods, our reputation, wrath, independence, success, likability, superiority, or control. I love the terminology that she uses of the false self, the picture of something being propped up that we want other, people's to know, other people around us to notice and not see the true us. Pride does its best to hide our true versions of ourselves, and it tries to manifest a false version for others to see and know while truly we are hiding in the midst of it. And yet, when we are poked and prodded, this root can manifest itself in anger in so many different ways. We can try to lash out defending this false image, or perhaps turn, to, turn the anger to try to redirect and get the focus onto something else. Even dealing with pride in ourselves can cause us to try and make assumptions about others, claiming that everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is trying to present some other version of themselves. I'm just trying to do the same thing. Pride is, in my opinion, the quicksand of the roots. It pulls you in and does its best to trap you because you are presenting something else to everyone else and you better back it up. And so you put yourself against the wall, trying to defend it time and time again, living more and more lies. And I say this because I myself have really struggled with pride in the past and it is something that I often have to put to death time and time again. Scripture has a lot to say on pride, especially in the book of Proverbs, but I'll only use one verse, and it's in Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then disgrace comes, but with humble is, with the humble is wisdom. 
Pride is such a nasty root because pride doesn't allow us to fully acknowledge the incredible gift of grace and forgiveness that God offers us. When pride sneaks in, we can start to struggle to fully comprehend just how awestruck we need and must and should be by Christ's sacrifice on the cross and how truly amazing it actually is. We begin to get into this mindset that we can do life without him, that there's no need for Christ in our everyday life. Man, what an awful thought. Pride begins to lie to us and say that we are justified in our wrathful action. It starts to change our heart attitudes towards others. We start to say things like, how dare they do that to us? If they only knew what I could do to them. Do they not know who I am, what I've been through, all the things that I've done to be where I am? I deserve these things. Why would they ever give it to that person? How dare they give him the recognition or her the recognition and the praise? I should be the one getting all of that. Am I not better in every way than this individual? If you find yourself constantly tearing down people around you, I would recommend to look at and see if pride is an issue in your life. Pride is an I statement kind of life. I, I, I. If you find yourself struggling to consider others' feelings or or are constantly seeing yourself playing the comparison game with others, you may be struggling with pride. A tool to combat pride is to really pray for your enemies. And not to pray like, God, just man, help them to have the worst day ever. Amen. No, that is not the prayer. It's God bless them. Lord, I I am struggling with this person. And so, Lord, I'm going to pray that you are with them. Lord God, help me to love them. Help me to see them as you see them. Those are the kind of prayers that we pray. That God would give you the eyes to see others how he sees them. Pray that God would work in your heart and help you to deal with pride. That he would actually reveal the things that you are struggling with. And to actually put in the work to deal with it. Again, confiding in a close friend, a family member, a spiritual mentor, or a psychologist could be incredibly helpful in combating this. These three roots are, are, like I said, by no means extensive. And we could probably add more to this list and spend more time on each of these. But I, I just wanted to give us a quick overview of the things that are roots that can have a hold in our life. But I want to move on and, 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 and really start looking at how, could, how do we address this? How do we deal with anger? How do we deal with these roots? Because the truth of the matter is, we all struggle with anger. I, I don't think that's a surprise to any of us. We all struggle with anger. Of course we do. But is anger that big of a deal? Is it, is it really matter that much? And I would caution you and say it is a big deal. The danger that anger has, that these roots have in our life, is that it is so tempting just to deal with the outcropping, just to deal with the leafy stuff, the bursts of anger, and not deal with the inner stuff, the stuff that actually corrupts us and and, and allows those manifestations out in public with our spouses, with our kids, to happen more regularly. If we just try to mow down the lawn and deal only with the outcropping and not go for the root, whether the root is fear or past wounds or pride, the root takes hold ultimately from a place of unforgiveness. And that place of unforgiveness is deadly. 
This unforgiveness can be directed towards others, how they have hurt you, or it can even be directed at yourself, not letting yourself be forgiven for things that you have done to others or caused to yourself. If you hold on to anger, you are hurting yourself. Even if it's anger that other people have caused you, you are hurting yourself more more than you ever are hurting them. And this type of, of, of anger, uh, of holding on to anger, can be kind of viewed as a type of masochism. And it can be tempting because you're thinking that I'm not hurting other people. I, I, I'm, I, it's just myself. I'm just dealing with it. They don't need to know. Other people don't even know that I'm wrestling with this. What harm does it have? Does it, does it do anything? And what I would say to address that very simply is this. That Christ came and paid the price for this sin. For that anger, whether you're holding it that someone else has done to you or whether you have done to someone else, or if you're angry with yourself over something, you are cheapening Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And you're not allowing God's forgiveness that was once and for all, that was done and dealt with on the cross, to not actually be that. You are putting parameters around it. Unforgiveness is a big deal as Christians. We are called to be imitators of Jesus. And if Jesus, his mission on earth was to bring forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father and with us, to bring us back together, and to bring us with other people back together, how, how dare we not forgive other people? But the truth is, we all struggle with wrath in some way. And now that we have a framework of how anger can have a hold in our life, let's spend the rest of our time looking at how we can deal with it. The first step in dealing with anger is understanding our need for forgiveness. The need we have for forgiveness is in receiving it ourselves, but also offering it to others, especially when they have hurt us. So how do we deal with anger? Very simply, we choose grace and forgiveness by imitating Christ. So how do we deal with anger? One of the first steps in dealing with anger is by giving ourselves the freedom to die to our old self. We allow pride, that old self, to die. We actually crucify that part of our life. There is freedom in allowing death for our past hurts, bitterness, and pride. And we need to enable these angers, these anger wells, these roots that are in our life to actually dry up and no longer have a hold in our life. This means that we need to go through a process with these things of digging them up, reliving some of these things, so that we can address them, addressing the issues that they have had in our life, and acknowledging the hurt that they have caused, and giving them a space to actually bring, giving us a space to actually bring forgiveness into this. And then very simply, we don't put it back in the dirt. We don't allow it to nestle back into our heart. We pluck it out and get get rid of it, toss it at Jesus' feet and give him this thing that we have been holding on. This process starts and ends with inviting Christ into our hurts and into our heartaches. We allow this to be a true death for this thing. As Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. We do this as a process of healing in our life, but further to see Christ exalted and lifted up, that he may be the focal point when people look at us, not ourselves. Forgiveness allows us to imitate Jesus. Forgiveness can be a hard thing to extend at times. In fact, in the gospel, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, once asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive someone who sins against me, who hurts me, who wrongs me. And I wonder if if Peter, when he was thinking this, if he was actually going through a hurt, if he was living this out, I'm speculating, I'm not sure. I've heard in commentaries that there was a discussion among other rabbis saying, well, you need to forgive twice. Once for the first time they hurt you in that way, and twice for the second time, but after that, hold on to it, and don't let them hurt you again. We've heard that, haven't we? Other people may have said, forgive three times, four, et cetera, et cetera. But I love Jesus' response because Peter comes at him and says seven, right? Seven is the perfect number. We forgive them seven times, right? But Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He, he cuts to the core of it. And, and Jesus' response goes beyond just answering him but following him up with a parable. Let's read it together. It's found in, in Matthew 18, 21 to 35, and it'll be on the screen behind me. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times, 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his servant fell to his knees, begging him, be patient with me and I I will pay it back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be quickly tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I, I love this story because, man, how often am I going to Jesus and being like, God, please forgive me for this sin, for this trespass that I have committed, and then the very next thing, go to someone who has hurt me or, and see them and just hold on to that bitterness in my life. Hold on to it and not let it go, even after they've asked for forgiveness. Jesus cuts to the core of our heart and really challenges us. And I love the, this, this imagery of a debt that, that this, all this stuff that we have caused and hurt people is kind of like a debt. And all the stuff that we've ever done to Jesus, all the sins that we've ever committed is, is, is a piling up of debt. 
And it's very easy to picture that because we often do that to ourselves of the things that where we have fallen short, where we have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God, and we hold on to it, adding to the bag more and more and more and more. And then we hold it before ourselves and say, I will never add up because of this. And yet the master looks at us, God looks at us and says, it's done. It's paid for. Why are you holding on to it? Let it go. And the challenge in there for us is to go and do the same. But there's also even a reproach of of God saying to us, and if you don't go and do this, if you don't go and forgive and live in this reality of canceling others' debts that they owe to you, that there is a consequence. I think that consequence very simply can be one that we realize after this life, but further to the point, one that we experience even now in this life if we don't let go of anger, don't let go of the hurts that people have caused us. We can live in a hellish reality, never mind the reality that's to come after we breathe our last breath here on earth. Jesus paid our debt And the debt that he paid is far beyond what we could ever pay. And yet he offers his grace without reproach. And the encouragement for us is to live in this grace-filled reality. Not just for ourselves, but for others. Offering them grace and forgiveness as well. And we can offer forgiveness not because we in ourselves are our masters of forgiving people. But because we have a master who has forgiven all of it. And we allow his forgiveness to extend outside of us to others. We can live in this place of total debt-free. The debts have been wiped clean. And we can extend this to others around us. Because just as we know that we are unworthy of God's forgiveness, and yet he offers it, others around us are also worthy of that same forgiveness. And we know the transformational power that comes when Jesus gives us forgiveness and we have actually realized it and accepted it into our life. It is a transformational power that changes us from the whole of our inside to the outside. It is life transformational and we have the opportunity to extend that to others. And we know how badly others need it because we so badly, desperately need forgiveness. Let's offer it to others who hurt us. In imitating Jesus, in imitating the forgiveness that he gives, we we get to know his character more. And if we want to imitate Jesus better, we need to know more about him. That's why reading his word is so important. And as we get to know Jesus more, we get to learn about how we should live our life before others and before even ourselves. In Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7, as Anne read for us, we learn about the essential characteristics of God. That if we can imitate these kind of things, that we can be more like Jesus here on this earth. That God is slow to anger. That he is abounding in love. That he is compassionate and gracious. That he maintains love. Man, what a beautiful description of love. It is something that needs to be maintained. That we can offer forgiveness like he has offered forgiveness. What an amazing trait that God has, that he is slow to anger. I hope that's something that people say about me, that I am slow to anger. Well, how do we become slow to anger 
I think it ultimately starts with dealing with the roots of wrath in our life. If we don't address those things, the wrath is kind of like holding on to a bunch of those like little colorful play balls that are in the play ball pit. You just try to hold on to these, all these different angers and all these different hurts. And when the next one comes, it's just going to topple everything out of our hands. Of course, we're not going to be able to deal with, with anger properly. Of course, we're not going to be able to deal with hurts properly when we're trying to hold on to so many other things. We're going to lose it. We're going to lose our grip on it. It's going to burst out. That's why it's important to deal with the roots of hurts so that when an anger or frustration or hurt comes, that we can actually grab onto it, look at it, address it, deal with it, and ultimately give it to Jesus and say, God, I am surrendering this to you. I don't need to get justice for the way that person hurt me because ultimately, God, I trust that you will bring justice. And I'm going to offer them the forgiveness that you offered me because, God, you offered me so much forgiveness, so much grace. Dealing with hurts enables us to have the capacity to deal with anger in a righteous way. When we allow love and and, and faithfulness to be what we extend to others around us, including those who have caused us past hurts, we are practicing the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, even when he was hanging on the cross with his accusers all around him, what does he call out? He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Offering forgiveness and walking in love is a must for us as Christians. We need, need to be imitators of Jesus. I find it so easy to forget that that Christian, what, I, what, I, what I'm telling people that I am, means simply Christ follower. Are you following in the way of Christ? So how are we practically responding to others around us? Are, are we willfully choosing to respond in love? Are the words that are coming out of our mouths loving, kind words that are building people up rather than tearing them down? Finally, the last piece that we see in Exodus, which I I barely touched on, is that we can trust God with justice for all situations. Sadly, there are many terrible atrocities in this world, and and, and there are things that happen that, that are so needing justice that sometimes it, 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 we need to do something about that in a very real, tangible way. Just forgiving isn't e- enough. There are hurts and things that we need to do to actually protect those who have been hurt. There are terrible situations that have been caused by evil people. So first of all, there is a, a responsibility that we have to deal with those things. And I'll touch on that more in a second. But there is also a, a freedom in knowing that ultimately God has the final say. That he is, as Exodus says, a judge. And he will judge all the wrong things that have been done. And he is a just judge, thank God. And there's so much more that I, I can say on this, but I would encourage you, if there's something that you were struggling to forgive, because it truly is a horrendous thing, first of all, you can trust God, that he will have the final say on it, that he will judge and be just in his judgment. But I encourage you, if there are those types of things that maybe, not even just maybe, that you should probably talk with someone and maybe see if there is police accountability that can follow up with that. And there, again, we can get into a whole discussion there, but I, I just want to quickly touch on that. Finally, let's go back to our last scripture, which, which Anne read for us at the, at the very end. The picture of Jesus flipping the tables. 
The scripture touches on something that Jesus demonstrates for us, which is there, when there is an injustice that we see as Christians, we must take a stand. And this goes back to that righteous anger, that, that anger that comes when you see injustice and you must respond. And that's where I want to land us today. We seek God's kingdom here on earth as Christians. We can use anger in the right way, the way that anger is intended to be used. We use anger to fight against injustices. Anger is a powerful tool that we can use to fuel our fights against injustice. Injustices should stir us to action. Let's read Mark eleven fifteen to 17 once again. Jack will pull that up for us. When, th- when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers in the chair of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they had begun planning on how to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Jesus, when he entered Jerusalem and and, and entered the temple, he saw that they had made it into a den of thieves, that that all the, the people there were starting to use it as a way for a means to an end. They were trying to make money. They were trying to sell animals and exchange money. And and guys, like, in and of itself, that actually isn't a bad thing. They were providing a service for people. And that is a good thing to do. But the the people needed the animals for the sacrifices. They probably needed to exchange money to be able to buy the right things. However, by doing these things in the temple, it was violating the temple grounds and making it, as Jesus says, a marketplace, not a place for worship and prayer. And we aren't sure of all the intention that Jesus had, but but we could speculate. One thing, though, is clear that we do see is that Jesus knew this wasn't what the temple was for. It was to be a place of prayer and not a marketplace. Very clear. When things' purposes are changed and twisted to benefit the few, the many suffer. In our, and in our world today, many injustices occur in the same manner. Few benefit and the many suffer because of it. Some people get preyed upon. Others get hurt by ill-intentioned men or women. And our role as Christ followers is to bring justice for those who suffer injustice. As Christians, it is our prayer that we would see God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. To that end, we fight for those who cannot fight. We do everything in our earthly powers to protect those who cannot defend themselves. If you struggle to see injustices around you, a first step can very simply be to pray that God will open your eyes to see them because sadly there are very, very, very many. Second, we pray that God would be at work in those injustices. And let's be honest, we also have a role to play as God's hands and feet in the world to work with him in those situations. We need to be praying that God would lead us to where he is calling us to act. Finally, we act according to the call that he has placed before us. 
Some of us have been called to act in major ways. And and if you are not acting in the way that God has called you to act, you have to step up and stand in the gap. It can be tough, especially when we are a shy person or when we don't know what we have to offer. The truth is God can use anger to help fuel your tank so that you can act in a righteous way. When anger is stirred up against injustice, anger is an appropriate and proper response. Rebecca DeYoung says, We also experience the passion of anger physically. Its effects on our bodies make us alert and ready for action. Anger covers the fight portion of our fight or flight response to danger, evil, and difficulty. As such, it can be our ally in our action by helping us to deal with both inner and outer difficulties that could discourage us from pursuing what's right. Someone who would otherwise be too shy may need to, the push of anger to stand up and speak out where, when he feels to, sorry, when he needs to defend the downtrodden. Someone who would otherwise feel too weak may fight behind the limit of her power. If anger fires her spirit beyond the limit of her power, I miswrote that, I apologize. A complacent congregation may need anger to lift it out of indifference and mobilize it into advocacy, again, from glittering vices. The final word I want to say on injustice is this. Are we yearning and toiling after justice here on earth? We all have a responsibility for this. We all have ways in which we can act, support, and fight against injustice. And there are so many ways in which we can get involved. There are so many amazing ministries that are in place. It can be easy as simply starting to pray. But I pray that you wouldn't just stop or end there. In our church, we have many partnerships in which you can get involved. We partner with The Bridge to bring about refugees from their dangerous places to safety with The Refugee Bridge, with Bob and Beth as our leaders in that. And they can help you to learn more about how you can get involved and how you can help out and how you can support. We also partner with IGM, International Justice Mission, which is working to end slavery in our lifetime. Which if this strikes a chord to you, I would, I would call you to talk with James Park for more information. There are many more ministries that we as a church partner with. But I think that we as individuals also need to step up in our day-to-day life and partner with, with more than just prayers. If there is a particular injustice that sparks in you a need to, be, to fight against it, talk with someone on staff. We would love to support you and help you and maybe get you sent in the right direction. In any way that we can help you, we will do our best to do so. The first step in this, though, is to learn to fight against the right things, to use anger in a right and godly way. If we are explosive over every single thing because we have these roots that are in our life, our anger, when it comes out against injustice, is going to be diminished. As Christians, we have a responsibility to deal with those root issues so that when we come to moments where there is injustice, that our anger actually stands for something, that it means something. We have a role to play. As Christians, we need to deal with the sin of anger. We must imitate Christ. We need to forgive, cancel the debt that people we have made them owe us. We need to choose to daily be slow to anger 
And finally, we need to fight against injustice and seek God's kingdom here on earth. This morning, we're going to take communion, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I think after a message like this, I I can't uh, help but encourage you, if there is anger in your life, if there is something that God touched on, I would encourage you before you take communion, because it's very clear in Scripture that if you have a, a issue with a brother or sister, that you should deal with it before taking communion. I would encourage you, maybe today's a day that you pass on taking communion. And I don't say that lightly, because we only do this once a month. And it is an opportunity to celebrate what Jesus has done, but Scripture is very clear that this is a serious heart issue. So maybe it is your first step today in in not taking communion so that you can deal with this before you do next month. Or maybe there's some roots of anger that has been highlighted and maybe as we go into this moment of reflection with a song that maybe it's an opportunity for you to talk with God and just start the surrender process. Start the process of digging up those roots and actually dealing with them.